With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. John, how are you on this I tell you what, Chad, like after that introduction, I'm quite embarrassed and I'm, I'm blushing because I haven't been introduced like that before. Thank you very much. About half of what you said is true, but I'll certainly take it. I think that uh, Hutton should just throw it to me for the introduction of you now every week. We should make that a weekly thing. He'll welcome us back from break and then throw it to me to introduce uh, John McClain. Hey, I want to ask you about this because we just got done talking about it. Uh, Joey McGuire at Texas Tech, they're going to build a $200 million football facility. Paul and I were talking about it. I think that is – I'm sure this was in the works when they hired him, but I think this in large part, Texas Tech listening to McGuire, who has such strong roots across the state of Texas, about what it's going to take to get top-level recruits to Texas Tech. And, John, you know this from your experience with Baylor, just the great job he did at Baylor bringing in recruits also. McGuire was a great recruiter. And if you think about it, when they hired Matt Rule from Temple, I'm like, Matt Rule, that guy from Temple who had a cup of coffee in the NFL, why in the world would Baylor want him? And why in the world would he want to come all the way from the East to Waco? And one of the smartest things Matt did was he hired a bunch of guys from, from the state of Texas, longtime high school coaches, guys who knew the coaches inside and out. Joey McGuire was their best recruiter. And when they replaced Matt Rule uh, with Dave Aranda, he came in second. And a lot of people wanted him to get the job. And then Texas Tech jumped all over him. And, of course, he knew that they had plans to uh, do that stadium because Tech's like Baylor. You've got to have state-of-the-art facilities if you want to keep up and you don't want to be left out. And they've done a great job. Ever since Mike Leach was there, they've done a much better job of recruiting West Texas. Used to, TCU would recruit almost halfway to Lubbock. And then, of course, Oklahoma and Colorado would come in there and recruit. A&M and Texas always get players from all over. But starting with Mike Leach, they were able to keep a lot of those players back. And they have upgraded their facilities tremendously and now doing this uh, it's going to help them even more and i'm happy for mcguire he's a first class guy everybody in waco wishes him success except when he plays baylor so john baker mayfield he's met with the media in charlotte and and uh i guess the takeaway is he's saying all the right things He, he even said that he and sam darnold are there to make each other better and mentioned that he heard from Darnold uh, immediately, that Darnold sought out his number and got in touch with Baker Mayfield and that they both just want to win and do what's right for the team. Um, What do you think, though, is the real expectation with this move and what Carolina wants from Baker Mayfield? Hey, you want Chad Lack? If he's not starting that first game against the Browns in Charlotte, 
then that trade will have bombed out because they've got him. They want him to be the starter. They're saying it's open competition, which they have to do. And I've never heard anything bad about Darnold off the field. He's a class guy. Of course, he would reach out to him. But he knows his days there numbered. They're not going to keep him around there all season unless Mayfield would get hurt early or or during training camp. You know, they'll wait till some quarterback gets hurt, and then they'll deal him, see if they can get a conditional draft choice like uh, Cleveland got for Mayfield. But Mayfield is ticketed to be the starter. Now, the key to what he does is Christian McCaffrey. He can't stay healthy, hasn't been able to stay healthy since he signed a monster contract, and they need him desperately. They got some good receivers. They're trying to improve their offensive line. Matt Rule's job is in jeopardy, according to everybody. And Mayfield, in the last year of his contract, with a huge chip on his shoulder to show the Browns and everybody else he should have been the quarterback in Cleveland uh, for the next four years. He's going to want to show everybody they were wrong. And I tell you what, revenge and money are hard to beat. What is the level of pressure on Matt Rule uh, after this move? And, and what what is a realistic expectation for what David Tepper needs to see from Matt Rule this season now that they have Baker Mayfield. Pepper said all the right things about rule. He gave him a six-year contract. He's the wealthiest owner in the NFL right now until uh, Fred Walton is formally approved by the Broncos and he takes over. But he's got a lot of money. He wouldn't hesitate to pay off rule. But the fact is, if he is realistic, he sees McCaffrey's injuries the bad quarterback situation, they've gone through a quarterback like they go through jock straps. And one of the things to keep in mind, you know, it was rule. Rule controls personnel. I don't think he ever should have given him control of personnel coming from college with one-year experience in the NFL. Scott Fitterer took that job from Seattle to beat the GM, and I'm guessing he's going to have a lot of influence with the personnel decisions, even though Matt Rule has the final say. And he's the one that paid such a stiff price to get Sam Darnold. And Darnold had a bad season. He's had two bad seasons in a row. And that's not good for a guy that was third overall pick four years ago. For how many people are going to continue to call Heinz Field, Heinz Field, um, Heinz uh, not stepping up to pay the the new cost of of their name on Pittsburgh's stadium still gets a lot of benefit out of having had their name on that building for the first twenty years, don't you think? Absolutely. I mean, I I've never eaten anything in my life but Heinz ketchup. When I first went to that stadium and saw it was Heinz, I thought all the all the seats should have been red. And I bet they're glad right now they didn't, and they made them Steeler colors, of course. But uh, it's going to be weird, just like it was weird with the Titan Stadium. Every time you have a change in the title of a stadium, you know, newspapers, copy editors got to be on their toes because guys are writing in a hurry. I know here in Houston, uh, Enron Field became Minute Maid Park, and people called it Enron for a couple of years. Same thing with NRG Stadium was Reliant Stadium. And that's why, that's one of the beneficiaries of paying so much money. When your contract is up and you're out, you still get a lot of positive pub because people call the stadium by your name. So, John, what do you make of the new, speaking of the color red, the Houston Texans battle red helmet that they're going to debut in week nine of this season? 
They uh, used to have ketchup bottle uniforms once a year, red pants, red top, and it was ugly. So they got rid of the red pants last year, and they went with red jersey, white pants. They looked real good. Now this red helmet that they unveiled today I think is very cool. It's gonna They're going to wear it the first day of practice. They're going to wear it for I can't remember which game it is. They also ought to wear it during their color rush game because it, it's really – Really good looking, something futuristic. And I think most over half the teams are doing this. And they have had a lot of changes here. Bob McNair wanted certain colors. Bob McNair wanted uh, certain uniforms. But he died in uh, four years ago, and, and it's, uh, his family's taken over. And if the NFL encourages them to make some kind of change, they'll do it. As you guys know, it doesn't happen in a year. It happens in two years. But people are here, from what I understand, based on what they unveil this morning, all the talk shows, the Chronicle, the websites, everybody likes it. While we're on it, Titans uh, didn't didn't get their act in order, I don't think, quickly enough. I, I know it's not happening till 2023. I think the reason it's not happening till 2023 is because they were slow actors. But they will wear Oilers throwbacks in 2023. How much will that sting people in Houston? I fight with my guys on my radio station, the flagship, all the time. They they go crazy. I said, look, the Oilers are the Titans. The Oilers are not Houston. Their memories are here. So I don't blame them for wearing those throwbacks. I remember a preseason game, and you were there, and I was there, in which they wore them. I thought it was in Canton when they wore the Columbia blue, and I thought it looked great. And uh, I know the Oiler players here, all the former players who are here, who love Amy Adams' trunk and how she treats them and everything, they love seeing that jersey and those colors. Now, I'll tell you what would really make it bad is if they wore it against the Texans. Then this rivalry would be what it should have been a long time ago, but has never developed because the two teams were not consistently good at the same time. And I don't think Amy Adams' trunk would do that because that'd be rubbing it in the faces of a lot of people here who were loyal fans for a long time and continue to be. Is Oilers gear popular at all in or around Houston? Do you see fans or anything Oilers? I do. I see a lot of it, and and most of it's Earl Campbell. Uh, Dan Pastorini, the former quarterback, who last time Houston went to – an AFC championship game, he was the quarterback in 78 and 79, and they traded him to Oakland for Kenny Stabler, and they haven't been back to an AFC championship game. I see Dan a lot. He does a lot of charity stuff, so I see his jersey quite a bit, but most of it is Earl Campbell. Then some people have the uh, the Hall of Famers like Robert Brazil, Curly Culp, Elvin Bethay, those guys. Kenny Houston, but by and large, it's not new. It's things that are old and faded. And that, to me, that looks the coolest of all. There's no way Lamar Jackson could change his Twitter background to a grill that says, I need money with a dollar sign and not have people think it's some kind of contractual statement. Uh, but he went and did it, and then is it, it puts it on everybody else. Oh, well, I don't talk about my business dealings with the Ravens on social media. He set himself up to get crushed. I think he deserves every bit of it. Uh, what do you think of, of his decision to just uh, flippantly throw that up there? 
uh, goes back to Kyler Murray and him doing that in the offseason. And, you know, when he scrubbed all the social media accounts, scrubbed the Cardinals, and then he put it back, said it had nothing to do with money. And, of course, it had to do with money. We're not stupid. They're stupid for thinking we're so stupid. We don't believe it. You know, Lamar Jackson, I'm sure, without knowing, and he's his own agent, but you know he's getting advice from somebody. He should have an agent. But I would imagine that the problem he's going to have there, he wants his negotiations to begin with Deshaun Watson's $230 million guaranteed. And the Ravens, who have been eager to re-sign him at the right price, they're going to say, that's an outlier. That's not the new standard. Can't pay attention to that, but they are which is one reason everybody's so mad at the Browns for signing Deshaun Watson, 230 mil guaranteed. And, and Jackson's been a better quarterback than Watson. He's been an MVP. He should get more than Deshaun Watson. You think that Lamar Jackson is better than Deshaun Watson? Because that, that was going to be my follow-up is the argument with Lamar Jackson, you're right, John, I've, I've got an MVP and I don't have the baggage that Deshaun Watson has, right? That's the, a big part of it. You don't have to worry about me with all of that. But I, I have a hard time believing that he's the better quarterback than Deshaun Watson. Watson hadn't played in two years. And uh, I believe, and I may be wrong, but the fact that he's going to be playing in Cleveland with terrible wind almost every game, and that's when the weather's good, as opposed to here and in the AFC South, I don't think he'll ever have the gaudy stats he had in 2020 when he threw 4,800 yards. I think it was 35 touchdowns, seven interceptions, and ran for four or five. That's playing in almost perfect conditions. His worst game of the year happened to be in Cleveland, when it was in September, but the wind was blowing. No, it was early November. It wasn't cold, but the wind was blowing so bad they had to evacuate the stadium early on. And I'll guarantee you that's why he eliminated Cleveland as his first team when he was considering the four. And then according to the reports I read, the Browns like, okay, we've been eliminated. What can we do to get back into this? And they put their heads together and somebody said, well, let's offer him a fully guaranteed contract. So they had to call the Haslam's to get them to sign off on it. And then they started negotiating with his agent. Can we get back in this? If we give him a fully guaranteed contract and his agent, David Mulligetta said, yeah, you can get back in it. And they got in it and they won the sweepstakes. But Jackson was hurt last year. He lost his first three running backs. I've never seen any team lose their top three running backs before the season. He plays with a great coach. So if they both play this season, I'm guessing, uh, well, I mean, say in 2023, Watson will have missed a lot of time. We may not see the best of him. Into 2023, 2024, considering how long he's been out. But I think Jackson would be a better quarterback. I think if you ask anybody, you took all the baggage away from Watson and put them both out there together, other than worried about the injury factor with Jackson, who's been more durable than Watson, I still think most people would take Jackson at this point in their careers. One interesting thing that came up recently for us, John, is uh, the financing of a fully guaranteed contract. So Haslam's obviously have the money to put this in, in escrow. Um, I don't know about Bashadi, but coming up for Joe Burrow, coming up for Justin Herbert, uh, the Brown family is not that liquid to be able to put 
$230 million in escrow right away. The Spanos family, probably not either. So their, their thing in negotiations could simply be, I, I, I simply cannot put that money in escrow for you to guarantee it right at signing. I can guarantee it maybe year by year. Uh, at the beginning of each year, it, it guarantees. And then I can go put it in the NFL bank for you. But I can't do it upon signing. Boy, those are great points, Paul. I've never even thought about them. And I tell you this, I've heard for decades the Brown family derives most of their income from the team. Now, maybe since uh, Katie Blackburn, the daughter of Mike Brown and Paul Brown's granddaughter, has gotten more control of the franchise, maybe they have a lot of investments and they make a lot more money. I would think, because it's Mike Brown and the Brown family, that the NFL would do something to help them out. Maybe they would loan them the money. Maybe they would change the rules for them. Spanos family's got one of those really nasty family squabbles going on right now because his sister uh, saw what Denver went for and is trying to, to somehow force the Chargers to be sold, which was against the wishes of the late father, Alex Spanos. And Dean Spanos and the other two siblings are fighting it. And I'm guessing that sister's thinking, okay, if the Broncos go for four and a half, think of what the Chargers would go for in L.A. with that market, in that stadium, with a quarterback like Justin Herbert, even though they're a poor stepchild to the Rams, and what they could be sold for. And I don't blame people wanting that kind of money. And I don't know if they would cut slack to the Spanos family for Justin Herbert. But if they did it for uh, Mike Brown, They'd have to do it for Dean Spanos. They changed the rules a lot. They loaned money, hundreds of millions of dollars to owners for stadiums. So why couldn't, if they had to, uh, loan them money to help them get through that or either change that bylaw? That idea was from Michael McCann, by the way. Was it McCann or was it uh, Brent? Maybe Andrew Brandt. I think Brandt. it was Andrew Brent. We had Andrew Brandt on last week, and I feel like he gave us that little bit of financial insight into the Chargers and Cincinnati uh, with that, which was which was interesting, comparing them to Jimmy Haslam and his business backing uh, with the Browns. We got another segment coming up with John McClain. When we come back, we're going to get back into the Sean Watson NFL investigation timeline for that. How many accusers are the NFL, are they talking to right now? We'll discuss with John, as well as the Seahawks and Jimmy Garoppolo. We'll discuss. That's coming up next. More with John McClain. This is Outkick 360. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer. With over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros, Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. 
So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. We are back with John McClain. NFL insider, legend, Hall of Famer, here on Outkick 360, live from our downtown Nashville studios at 6th and Peabody. John, the latest with Deshaun Watson, um, they're focused now on four accusers because he reached agreements with 20 of the accusers. There was apparently a fifth, but now they're saying that was a media report that may not be completely true on a fifth accuser. So it looks like they've zeroed in on four accusers and they're basing their case off of those four accusers. Is any of this good or bad for Deshaun Watson right now, or is it much of the same? And, John, do you think the timeline is pretty much the same, which would be that Friday, July 22nd, late afternoon news dump, or Monday the 25th? Well, then they got to hear the appeal, and the appeal's not going to be done overnight. So I've said all along, I think this will go right up, start a training camp last week of July, and it might go into camp. What the Browns need to know is, will they have him? How much will they have him? And I'll tell you something. This is good for Watson. Number one, Tony Busby said uh, he reached settlements of 20. Had he settled with them before, they wouldn't have talked to anybody because they would have had settlement agreements with non-disclosures. So he makes you wonder, why did he never get this done? Because he's so wealthy. And he could have made it all go away over a year ago, but he didn't. And he's paying a price, not the least of which is his attorney, Rusty Arden's probably charging him millions of dollars. Something that I don't understand, and people here have talked about this a lot. When he would, when the grand jury in Houston heard this, there were eight clients lined up to be uh, to go before the grand jury prosecutor called one. And that was it, one. And then that story came out. She'd been exchanging text messages with Rusty Harden. And there's nothing illegal about that. But a lot of people start to say it's unethical. So she called one. And so the grand jury listened to the one and decided, no bill. And so I don't know why you don't interview everybody. The NFL has testimony from the women who reached settlements before they ever settled. The NFL, Lisa Friel, her investigative department, supposedly investigated this for over a year. So that would be what they gave to Sue Robinson from the NFL. So uh, I think that if it's down to to putting it on four people. And the main one is Ashley Salee. She was the first. She's been the face of the plaintiffs. She's done news conferences. She's gone on TV. She has not changed her story at all. She did not settle this time, did not settle, agree to settle before the trade deadline when he was going to be traded to Miami. So I know there's a lot of things leaking out. People claim they know what it is. Fact is, nobody has a clue because Sue Robinson, the judge, has never made a ruling like this i i don't understand why at this stage with the case in front of her i mean isn't she judging whether he committed conduct detrimental to the league well the other 20 are involved in in whether he committed conduct detrimental to the league so why would they only be narrowed down to the four who didn't settle not not a disclosure agreement 
Well, they they couldn't get them because of non-disclosures now, but they could have talked to them before well, yeah, the non-disclosures. Yeah. But they're saying the focus is down to these four. I mean, I understand the focus on the ones that settled can't be extreme, but I, I, you can't carve them out and not look at them at all. They're certainly a yeah, part of the case. That's interesting, John. I, I, we might have to have a, a lawyer on to ask that question, but once they sign an NDA, can you not go back and – retroactively look at everything you talked to them about before they reached a the settlement? still be considered in this well, case. Of course you can do yeah. that. And yes, they will, because that's part of Lisa Frill and NFL's investigation was all the people she talked to. I don't think, based on what I've read and heard, is that she talked to everybody. I don't know why you wouldn't, but they didn't. But at least it was more than half of them. So um, there's a reason Rusty Arden's one of the best attorneys in the country, but you now this is not going to stop the rest of the civil suits. And uh, if he gets off with a minor slap slap on the wrist, which I would consider four games. And remember, there's the appeal coming. Uh, Roger Goodell can handle the appeal or he can have somebody do it for him. But if uh, Robinson, you know, I'm, and if she says there's no penalty, there's no penalty. It can't be. You can't appeal it. But if she says two, four, six, eight, it can be appealed to Cadell. So really, what's the point of having her as the middle person from the NFL's investigation to this, knowing that it's going to be appealed unless they were to work out some kind of settlement, which could happen any time? Well, it saves themselves from a PR black eye if she doesn't give a big suspension, I guess, is how that helps the NFL. If she comes back and says no penalty based on her findings, then that's going to help the the, the NFL and the court of public opinion because they can kind of put the the penalty or lack thereof on her. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo. So the Baker Mayfield situation is settled now, John. And, and here you have Jimmy Garoppolo still in San Francisco. Report from Jeremy Fowler at ESPN says the Seahawks are having internal discussions about Jimmy G, which I'm thinking uh, they should be. I mean, of course they are, at least discussing it. What do you think happens ultimately with Jimmy Garoppolo at this stage of the game? I'm doing a flagship of the 49ers Friday because there's some report the Texans are interested. And I said, yeah, probably the same people said they were going to trade for Mayfield. They were going to trade Brandon Cooks, all these things that only nincompoops put out there. But they said, we still have to talk about it. I said, I'll be happy to come on and talk to you about it. I I don't understand why they were not interested in Mayfield over Geno Smith. The problem with Garoppolo Seattle be in the same vision, but also he's coming off shoulder surgery on his throwing shoulder. I'd want to see him throw the ball in preseason before I made a trade for him. And uh, would anybody right now want him to be their starting quarterback coming off the kind of surgery he was coming off of, considering he's okay, but he's nothing special? Well, here's how I'd answer that question, John. If I'm Seattle and I'm truly interested in winning – I want him as an option to beat out who they currently have in Drew Locke and Geno Smith, but I don't think Seattle's interested in winning. I mean, they they appear to be a team that's completely content with losing and drafting a quarterback early next year because they're going to draft very early in the draft. 
Well, it's going to be hard to do when you got all the great skill position players they got. Not only do they have two good running backs, they got great tight end catching the ball, two great wide receivers. They had first and third round picks in the offensive line, including Charles Cross. So they put everything around the quarterback, but they were not interested in Mayfield. I give me Mayfield over Garoppolo. Yes. And, uh, but Geno Smith. You know, they they say they're going with Geno, not Drew Locke, but Geno Smith. And that's something nobody can believe. But you know what? Pete Carroll's been successful for a long time. So is general manager John Snyder. If they want to go with him, maybe Geno will be like Kurt Warner. Everybody will think, what in the world are you doing? And then the Seahawks will win the Super Bowl. But right now, I just don't see it. If I'm Carroll, I'm looking at every possible quarterback out there. John, I know. Go ahead, Paul. Sorry. Well, if you got short, yeah, yeah, John. I know you're uh, you're friends with Adam Schefter, and the Washington Post recently did a, a big story on him, a big profile, um, where he answered to allegations he's carrying water for Dalvin Cook, Deshaun Watson, and other players, and uh, he says if he's erred at any point, it's simply that he's too quick. You know, he acts too quickly because he's trying to get the news out there too fast, but he's not going to stop going fast with everything that he does. Uh, have you had a chance to read the piece? And what do you think of some of the missteps with Adam Schefter in the last year? I've not read it, but I'll tell you this. Adam is as good a reporter as I've ever seen. He's as honest as I've ever seen. There's so much competition with him and Jeremy Fowler and Ian Rappaport, Tom Pelissero, Jay Glazer. Jay Glazer doesn't weigh in much, but when Jay does, you know it's accurate. And it's not like... Uh, Adam had multiple tweets favoring Watson. He had one. And after he got ripped, he came back and said he should have clarified it better. Same thing from Cook. It was obvious he got him from the agents. Most of those national guys get stuff from the agents. And sometimes in the rush to be first, it's not that it's wrong. is that you put it out there without being extra careful because you're dying to be first. And he's owned it. And right now, He's making millions and millions and millions of dollars. You pay me that, I'd be happy to take the eight. John, I want to spend a couple minutes on uh, Bud Adams' Hall of Fame candidacy. Uh, Coach Contributor Committee, which I'm a new member of, we had to reduce 37 to 25. I thought it's not enough to get to 25, really. We ended up with 29 because of ties. He's in that batch. A lot of people think he should be in a long time ago. I, I think it hurts him that despite all he did, founding the AFL, uh, helping with the merger, great stuff that you can't write the history of the league without, um, wasn't always the greatest owner during his time owning the Oilers and, and, the, and the Titans. I feel like Lamar Hunt also did a good job kind of stealing all the glory for himself, not that he's not a deserving Hall of Famer and he's been in for some time. His family hasn't been eager to, to share it or to endorse uh, uh, Bud's candidacy. What do you think has to happen if he's uh, to get in at, at some point? 50-year anniversary of the AFL, I did everything I could to get Bud in. I was on the Centennial Committee three years ago, did everything I could. And I thought after I made my speech and there were all these old guys who had been around in the 50s and the 60s and knew what Bud's impact was on the league, that they would vote for him, but he didn't make it. And one of the things, the first partner that that uh, 
that Lamar Hunt had. He came to Houston. He met with Bud, asked him, do you want to start a new league with me? Bud said yes. It was announced in Bud's office here. Bud played a huge role in the merger. He and Al Davis were the only owners who sat on the side opposite Lamar Hunt at a meeting when Lamar, when Al Davis proposed going after the National League's veteran free agents, not just college people. And Bud sided with Lamar and Tex Schramm got word, went back to Pete Roselle, and that precipitated the merger. He also traded the rights to Joe Namath to the Titans slash Jets, which saved the Jets and maybe the AFL. I told him that, and it just seemed to go in one ear and out the other. At one point, he had three black quarterbacks on his roster. He was one of the first owners to hire black executive, Tom Williams, assistant general manager. There's all kinds of things that go back to the old days. He gave loan money to the Raiders to help them stay in business. And, and Bud was his own worst enemy. When the 50-year anniversary that year, I finally got Ralph Wilson to agree to talk to me about Bud and talk about his achievements. But Bud showed him double rods at a Bills game. Naturally, Ralph Wilson didn't talk to me. Bud got fined by the league for that, got all kind of negative publicity. And people didn't seem to hold it against him. They moved the franchise because so many have moved. But that thing about trading the rights to Namath, I've had so many people in New York say, well, I didn't know that. I said, well, Bud Adams told me and Lamar Hunt confirmed it. And I talked to Jerry Rome about it. Never talked to Namath about it. I don't even know if Joe Namath knows it, but he saved the American Football League and the Jets. But uh, hopefully, the emphasis on Bud should be the late 50s when he and Lamar Hunt, Lamar was 25, Bud was 33, tried to buy the Chicago Cardinals, failed, and that's how the new league came about. John, you do a great job summarizing the history of Bud Adams and how big of a hand he had in the history of the NFL, especially with the merger. And I hear all those things every time, and I think, how is this guy not in? Is it the reasons you said from a personal perspective that he's not in, or is it simply the fact Paul alluded to that he wasn't seen as a great owner having not won a championship after the merger, not having won a Super Bowl? I have a hard time hearing all that and understanding how someone so influential in something so monumental for the league in the merger isn't in right now. First of all, after the Oilers won the first two championships and went to double overtime and lost the third, Bud started firing coaches about every other year. He had a nickname down here, Bottom Line Bud. Everybody called him that. That got him so much negative publicity. He fired Bob Phillips the greatest coach in franchise history, the most beloved coach in Houston history. And while that's still a black mark on his resume here, you know, there's a lot of people around the NFL, they look and you say Bud Adams and they're like, what did he ever do? And they weren't even born when the American Football League was formulated. And and I see things on TV, say 30 for 30. Looks like John may have actually even, even mentioned Bud's name when they're doing these things, talking about the AFL. They talk about Lamar Hunt, Al Davis, who was a commissioner, but you don't hear him say any of the things we just talked about. The Lamar Hunt flew down to Hobby Airport. Bud picked him up. They went to dinner, and that's how he got his first partner, and it was announced at Bud's office. Nobody ever talks about that. So, John, Daniel Snyder, 
has agreed to a non-public deposition remotely from Israel on July 28th. <laughs> All or part of the transcript eventually may be released. Every time he couldn't I read, get to Mongolia. Every somehow. time I read a Daniel Snyder headline and story, John, I think, man, I wish I had his attorneys. With what they've been able to finagle with all of this, first off, declining declining the subpoena to appear before the the House Oversight Committee, but now agreeing to it. But oh, I'm going to do it from Israel, and we're not going to broadcast it in any way where people can see it. But it doesn't mean that it will be done. You know that Republican congressman who said, "When we take back the House, we are going to drop this because it's a waste of money," and so he could stall to see if Republicans take back the House. And I watched the one with Goodell. It was a dog and pony show with politicians who were trying to talk over each other. It was an embarrassment to them to know so little and act so childish trying to take over the show. And and I don't, can't imagine with all the secrets Snyder's got, I'm pretty sure he'll be sitting there like me on the Zoom. He'll be going, what? What? Bad connection. Can you hear me now? It'd be like one of those old cell commercials. Can you, can you hear me now? I'm sorry. And then they'll have some built-in static. And next thing you know, he'll be gone. Well, what's funny about you saying that, John, is they say the transcript transcript will probably be available. I'd love to read all that in the transcript of him just saying that his reception's bad the entire time. And that's the entire transcript is four-word answers interspersed with Daniel Snyder not being able to pick up the questions. be amazing. John McClain joins us every week on Tuesday to talk NFL. Appreciate you. Always fun. John, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Yeah, like ball. Thank you guys very much as always. Have a great rest of the week. So in one of the stranger stories you're going to see, There is a fake cricket league, or there was a fake cricket league, that duped Russian bettors into betting on this league and profited from it. We'll explain. It's a complicated tale. We'll try to weave that tale when we come back. This is Outkick 360. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Story up at OutKick right now, written by Mark Harris. Headline... Fake Cricket League dupes Russian betters with staged matches three weeks after season had already ended. This is Outkick 360 alongside Paul Kowarski. I'm Chad Withrow. So this according to the Times of India. Paul, an Indian village put together an operation to broadcast fake Indian Premier League cricket matches to attract Russian money. The IPL, the English Premier League, is the premier cricket league in the world. Indian Premier League. Did I say something different? You said English. No, Indian Premier League. Sorry. Yes. The Indian Premier League is the premier cricket league in the world. So in order to dupe Russian betters, the Indian village had to go all out. The village brought together fake players, a fake umpire, a broadcaster, HD cameras, and even pumped in fake crowd noise to trick the betters. Players also wore jerseys from actual IPL teams during the stage matches, and the operators of the fake matches took live wagers, and controlled the game by signaling the players what to do based on money coming in. 
so they could make the most money. This is quite... Those uh, in Russia placed wagers via Telegram. Telegram? That's a little primitive. A little primitive, but also... The whole thing's high-tech until you get to the wagering system of Telegram. Well, here's what I don't... uh, No, uh, Here's what I don't understand. I I don't watch... No Pony Express available? I don't know about you, Paul, but I'm not watching everything I'm betting on, on the FanDuel app. But you gotta... If if you were to flip over, you'd need reliable gameplay. But how... What... What are they using to broadcast it to where Russians are seeing it and thinking, oh, this is a game happening live and it's completely fake and staged to where they have HD cameras and everything else? Give you an example. Jacob Swanson bets on darts. I've never watched the darts. I could go bet live on darts right now on my FanDuel app. And you believe it's happening. Could be totally fake. It could be Jacob Swanson and and Corey having a fake darts match. And I could be betting on it. I think. How if, would I know? I, 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 maybe Jacob will give us a thumbs up out of there. But I think if he wanted to go watch the darts, it's probably on the internet somewhere. And he is saying yes with the mystery, the, the the thumb that just comes out. It's like uh, from the monsters of the Adams family. Jacob, Adams family. Jacob, you can also answer this question with a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Would you be able to completely tell if it was real or fake, or you were just watching two guys play fake darts? <laughs> thumb down. Exactly. So, but the backing is there, and that's like these people who bet on the cricket. They weren't able to tell if it was real or fake. But, but it was there in case they went far enough to look at it. There was actual telecast of it to some degree that gave them assurance. Well, full disclosure what here. What busted it open? Davey Hudson sent us the story. I had not read it, heard about it, until right before the show today. So I have not done my proper research on this. Maybe I should read the Times of India piece. Yeah. But big question I have here is why are they feeling the need to go all out to broadcast on HD cameras a fake game with something being bet on via Telegram? Yeah, that, that because is a little bit of a disconnect. With video? <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, don't know how, I don't know how it's getting to the Russian population from a village in India in order to dupe them into betting on it. Why not just have a fake game that's taking place online with fake dots. scores and outcomes happening? If people are just that hardcore betting, it sounds in Russia. like you could certainly get by with a game cast as opposed to a uh, full performance art. Um, it sounds like a Truman Show, a, a good film, perhaps if it was cast properly. Paul, you look like you've hit your wall. Did you work out this morning? I did not. Tomorrow. Is, so is it is it the workout now that gives you the energy? It's the days that you work out I, that you don't hit I, the wall. I don't know. That's a good question. I feel like you're, you're changing. We're seeing a metamorphosis before to, our eyes right now. I have to study it more. I am quite hungry. I will give you that. Can you eat here? Or are you on some sort I of diet where you can I could eat here if I had the proper food. Should we get Gracie, our intern, to go find you something that's, that's appropriate for you to eat? Uh, Sunday is the 30th day, and then the restrictions um, uh, lack, uh, relax a little bit. But then what you do is you try a little of this and scale back and try a little of that. So I'm looking forward to legumes, superfood, legumes, so red wine. Rob Gronkowski says that he's done with football, and he says even if Tom Brady Brady calls me, I believe him that he's not going to come back. I believe him until I don't. I I believe, I believe anyone until they get through a training camp and into a season and then miss it and get the call because right now it's all about I hate football practice. I hate training camp life. I feel great. I, I feel hate light. the grind. 
But then you get into September and October and you feel good physically and you get a call from Tom Brady, I think he's going to go back and And play. you might be a little bored. Because you miss games. You might be a little bored. Yeah, and you miss games. It also depends on, uh, you know, how's your, how do your knees feel? Uh, and what kind of weight are you carrying? You know, could, could Gronk be a little too thin for it? I wouldn't think Gronk's so. Gronk's a big framed guy. I, I've seen him recently. He doesn't look thin. He looks the same. I, I just, I, I'm I, kind of sick of the uh, unretiring Gronk story, so I'd like him to go away. You want to believe that he's actually done. I do. I'd like for retired people to remain retired now. That's my, like Tom my, Brady? my new thing. Or were you happy when he came back? Yeah, I'm happy that Brady's back, but I don't want it to be on and off, on and off like Rodgers was after this. So, I want a decision after the season to be, you know, I'm going to keep playing or um, I'm heading to Fox. I don't want a whole lot of... Uh, Willie or Woney, he is, he isn't, all of that. I, I tire of that quickly. So uh, when we come back, first off, Paul's going to have some caffeine for the first time in months to wake himself back up. Get him going. Get him going over here. I'll be good. Um, second, we're going to talk about some rules changes in the NBA that I think will really help things uh, across the league. One thing that has been happening that they're going to do permanently now and a couple things that I think could help also coming up in the 4 o'clock hour, Charlotte 49ers head coach Will Healy. Uh, he is from the state of Tennessee originally. We're going to get into what all this conference realignment, what a possible super conference will do to group of five programs like the one he coaches at Charlotte. Will's a great guest. Could talk about anything. We'll talk about his program, but we'll talk specifically about what's next for a program like Charlotte because there are a lot of implications across the sport um, that does not always have to deal with just the Big Ten, with just the SEC, with just Oklahoma, Texas, USC, UCLA, the big boys. And what does it mean for a Charlotte? What does it mean for coaches looking to move up with their schools or another one? We'll talk to Will Healy about that coming up in about 25 minutes. Getting a little NBA rules discussion, though, when we come back. This is Outkick 360. 